this episode, we talk with Mira Malik, Head of Inclusion, Equity, and Impact at Carta. She talked about the end-to-end DEI ecosystem and why cultural competency is a must-have. I hope you enjoy the podcast and thank you for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Uplifting Impact. Today, I am here with Mita Malik, and Mita has a really awesome background. I couldn't even decide of all the awesome things that she's done, what to share with our listeners today. But here's a a couple of of really cool facts about Mita's background. She actually is a corporate change maker with a track record of transforming businesses and cultures. Right now, she serves as the head of inclusion and equity and impact at Carta. And before that, she was actually at Unilever. She also has done a number of things in the marketing space. So one of the big projects that caught my eye was she worked on the Vaseline healing project in the United States, signing on Viola Davis. I am going to ask if you got a chance to meet her. So that prepare, that's my first question. Um, as brand ambassador to help set the brand back to growth. She also has been named the Working Mother of the Year by She Runs It, a number of other awesome awards, including being listed as 50 People Under 40 who are shaking up beauty. And she's been published in the Harvard Business Review, the New York Post, and in Business Insider. Again, these are just a couple of the awesome things that, that you've done. Mita, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that very kind and generous introduction. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so many things uh, that I want to talk to you about, but for real, for real, my first question, did you meet Viola Davis? I did on a number of occasions. She actually said my name and I almost peed my pants. (laughs) Don't get starstruck often, but you know, what's so amazing about Viola Davis is she does not fall from the pedestal. So oftentimes in life, you have put people on a pedestal and then you meet them in person. They might come crashing down. She just continues to rise. And I just, she's such a phenomenal human being and what a blessing and honor to have worked with her. That is so cool. I'm not surprised, right? Because I am, I am a huge fan also, but it's always cool to, to know that the people that, that, you know, that you are like, wow, she's doing such amazing things that they really, they, they live in that space too. So very cool. So what, I guess one of my, my questions, it's a nice uh, segue, obviously when you got started, I don't know, did you know that you're going to meet, you know, Viola Davis? And that was the reason why you got into cross-cultural marketing or, or was there some other inspiration that got you into, into this pathway? Yeah. The inspiration starts from an early age. I'm the proud daughter of Indian immigrant parents. My younger brother and I were raised outside of Boston. We were a handful of families of color growing up and my peers let me do let me know every single day that I did not belong in that community. I was bullied a lot, both verbally and physically. And so that was a constant in my life, even though I had a very you know, wonderful, loving parents who tried to do their best because they were also immigrants and never experienced anything like this before. And at the same time, I was growing up in a world I did not grow up in the Instagram era. I was growing up in a world where I didn't see myself reflected in the world. So I also didn't feel like I belonged. I read Essence. My Black girlfriends joke with me, you read Essence? And I was like, I was desperate for Black and brown role models. I identify deeply with the Black community. I don't identify as Black, but there were um, so many moments in which I just wondered, like, why aren't there products made for me, making things in the kitchen for my skin and hair, my mother bringing things back from India and the summers we spent there. And that's what really drove me. And I was always, probably because I was bullied a lot, I don't think I was 
necessarily introverted. I did become painfully shy as a result of it. And I was isolated a lot reading and writing. And then that really inspired me to think about whose stories do we choose to tell and why? And who do we choose to make products for and why? And that's really what drove me to have a long marketing career in this space. And so when I think about Viola Davis in that moment, it sort of comes full circle because having someone like her represent the Vaseline brand and, oh, by the way, help turn it back to growth because of the plan we built with her is just remarkable that people can see, you know, communities see, seeing themselves reflected in her and the brand. It's so awesome. So one of the the brands that we run out of our company is called Story to Tell Books. And it's the same kind of like nexus of it, right? This idea that we it's important to have representation. I, and I, you know, I talk often about the fact that I remember the first time I had a book that had a little brown girl in it. I still have the book. It is still on my bookshelf. It's all torn and tattered because I would sleep with it. I mean, the, the little girl in the story didn't have a very similar life experience to mine, but the very fact that she existed in this story format made such a huge impression on me until the, until the librarian was like, I'm not going to check this book out to you again. Uh, Just take it, you know? So it's got the library barcode and everything on it. Right. Because that's, that's hard. It's It's really hard. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, if you can see it, you can be it right. And we're all looking for seeing ourselves reflected in things. And that matters so much because it says to me and you, like we matter. Absolutely. We matter because we see ourselves reflected back. So I do have a question about this. Do you feel like there's a trend moving in that direction? Do you think it's still like bubbling or do you feel like there's a full wave of people who are embracing this idea of representation when it comes to the marketing community? Are people kicking and screaming or is it like excitement? I'm just curious about what you think the temperature is. It's interesting when we think about the last year and with the killing of George Floyd, the racial awakening, reckoning, I think for most Black Americans and people of color, it wasn't a racial awakening. It's what our experience has been for many, many years. And I don't want to speak for the Black community, but as a brown woman, it seemed like awakening for a lot of white leaders is what I will say for me, right, in this work. What I would tell anyone listening who's leading in an organization you can no longer not afford to think about how your brand's products and services show up in the marketplace. According to Nielsen, the Black African-American community has over $1 trillion of spending power. Let me say that again, $1 trillion. And if you look at the whole multicultural consumer, however you want to define that, Black, Brown, it is over $3 trillion. So if you are sitting here today in 2021 and you don't have a strategy of how you are authentically serving these communities, I don't know how you'll be around in the next five or 10 years. And for anyone who says to me, there's no growth in the US, I can't find growth. I ask you, who are you selling to? And what stories are you telling? Because there is growth to be had. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that's one of the things that I get most excited about is when we're able to work with our clients and they start to see this emerge, right? And all of a sudden they start to see like, wow, there are real advantages. It's not just the right thing to do. There is a business case to be made here. There is a market share case to be made here as we're thinking about why we enter into the diversity, equity, and inclusion space and why we're making investments in this space. Absolutely. And that also ties to supplier diversity. 
Because there's a lot of, I would say, pressure, rightfully so, and workforce representation. Absolutely, there's still progress to be made there, no doubt about it. Who are the voices that get sit, sit around the table and why? And then also, are those voices heard? Right. Or are they dismissed? But those voices aren't just the internal voices. They're who we decide to write checks to. And if you're a large public company and you have an agency of record and you go to the same five agencies, same five suppliers, same five partners to do your work, I ask, your, ask yourselves why. Why is it? And like, why is it that you are not thinking more broadly about who else you can be working with? Just like we do, we should be looking at diverse slates. We should be looking at a slate of diverse suppliers. Absolutely. In your campaign, and you know this, it's the work you do. But this is just, it's all connected now. You can't separate supplier diversity from this conversation either. No, I don't think so. And, you know, there's a quote, like if you, if it makes money or if it's a gender, if it makes money or costs money, uh, a good friend of mine said this in a conversation I had with him recently, he's starting a company. And I thought, that's what I'm going to start telling people when they ask me, where should my diversity, equity, inclusion, if it, if it, right. Like, cause it's, Absolutely. it's part of every component of, of the organization. It's in your talent, it's in your marketing, it's in your, you know, where you're doing your operations, who, who your vendors are. It's in all of the components and the more you can infuse it, the more it's real, one, and, and two, I think the more benefits you get from it. Absolutely. I say it's building the end-to-end inclusion ecosystem. The last piece of that, we talked about workforce. We talked about brands and products as services showing up in the marketplace, supplier diversity. The last piece is you can say you stand for values and are you ready to stand up for them when it matters? And so, so many examples, especially with what we saw with Georgia and the legislation that was passed. Um, in terms of voting and many companies either saying that they wanted to do the, do the right thing and or ultimately being pressured by employees and consumers to say, hey, you've got to do something. And, you know, big kudos to Major League Baseball and the leadership there for the decision they made. So that's that is what people are expect, expecting. It is end to end now. Right. We want to see from from corporations. Absolutely. So one of the things that you did was you started a, a cultural immersion series. And yeah. I would love for you to tell me, tell our, our listeners too, what, what is that? And why did you, why did you start that? What were you trying to respond to? Yeah, I started that with Monica Marcel at Language Culture Worldwide, who's a, a dear friend and has been a mentor to me. And I started this because I think one of the most important skills a marketer needs to have right now is not social and digital, yes, but it is cultural competency. How can you be selling to the Black African-American community and not understand the history of that community? And when you see so many mistakes in social media mistakes, whether they are you know, a mistake or racist content, clearly, you wonder how that happened. And so we started at Unilever, I started the, the movement, which was called the Cultural Immersion Series. And at the time they were live, three plus hours. We actually shortened them as soon as COVID hit and made them virtual, but is really understanding the experience of what it means to be Black in America today. And the first part is heavy and it's intentional. It is learning and understanding the institution of slavery and why does it have modern day repercussions and understanding the themes of the dehumanization of Blacks for centuries Um, body integrity, colorism. And then that's like the first part of the course, but then you start to look at all the content we all put out there. And through that lens now of when you are stereotyping, when colorism is showing up, and then you understand a bit more of the history and the foundation. And of course, we don't just solve it in three plus hours, but it starts giving people 
you know, marketers the, the foundation and the language to start asking questions when you're in a meeting with your agency and you say, I think this is a racist brief. Right. And I wonder why we are casting only 18 to 35 year old white women. I wonder why we are asking all of the black models to straighten their hair. I wonder, I wonder, and it starts to unlock this conversation. And we had a lot of our agencies go through it as well, because it wasn't enough for the marketers. We started that. We also did um, the LGBTQ experience. We did Latinx experience. And right before I left Unilever, I was proud to do Muslim experience. Muslim, the, uh, the Muslim population is one of the fastest growing globally. And so right. if you want to serve a community authentically and with purpose, you have to understand their experience. Yeah. And, you know, there, I've been on the receiving end of so much of that lack of understanding in my, in my life. Some of the most, uh, I would say disappointing meetings I've been in quite frankly, have been sometimes with marketing firms who, I mean, I literally, I had, this is sidebar story, but I just put out, I'm a boy of color. I wrote this book, a marketing firm comes in and the images that they had, you would think that I was making this up, but there were images of, you know, a little black boy behind a fence, um, you know, staring through a fence, like there was another one of, um, standing on top of a pile of garbage. And, and I was like, what is this? Like what, what, for what, to what end are you trying to, what, what are you trying to communicate with? And I, I mean, I kicked them out of the office. I could not, it just, it befuddled me, right? Like it just befuddled me. And, and, and so there are these, there are these, there's plenty of opportunities and in, in, in space for people to be able to get some of this cultural competency because otherwise you do end up right. Like putting stuff out there. But I think it's even more than that. You don't even understand the actual product, you right. Know? You know, if you don't understand the, if you don't understand the customer, you can't understand the product either. You can't. And, and what's so fascinating is that the, the number one job of a marketer, my job is to know you so intimately well that I can surprise and delight you with something you never expected. And yet I have no understanding of the history of your community. Yeah. And that to me is where we lose the plot. And that's where, why I think cultural competency is one of the number one skills that marketing organizations should be focused on. Absolutely. And it's something that we should be demanding of our marketing firms, right? It is something that when we are looking for the vendors that we, that we want to bring in to represent our organizations, we should be asking those questions. What are you doing? Absolutely. You should be asking about their workforce representation. You should be asking about the staffing for your account and what it will look like. You should be asking them what their diversity, equity, and inclusion plans are. Do they have someone uh, running the strategy? Do they have targets? Do they have supplier diversity? And oh, by the way, when we were at Unilever, I said, hello, ex-marketing firm, love that you want to work with us and you must sign up for our cultural immersions and you can pay for it. Because guess what? You That is like a huge gift we're giving you. One of the things we did at Unilever was like we designed the course. It was like our intellectual capital time and money. And then you just had to pay the facilitators to actually deploy the class because you need very skilled facilitators to take you through. But I had created this and said, please use it. And and it's not even that it's going to help you on the Unilever account. It's going to help you with everything you do. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I love that. And I love the the generosity behind that too, right? That this understanding of it's not about like 
we're keeping this information. It's about the more people have this information, the more all of us can be successful, right? That, that that's the idea behind the podcast too. Like the more we can share people's concepts and give yeah. them tools and all of that, the more, the better work we can all be doing together. Right. Because there may be people who before this conversation. So thank you for, for being so gracious because before this conversation might not have been thinking, or maybe have never asked their marketing firm kind of what they're, what work they're doing and how they're incorporating diversity, equity, inclusion into their practices. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So one other thing, and, and not to switch topics, but I have to ask you about this because I was like, are you, are you singing my song? Like, do you know me? So I did, I was, you know, surprised and delighted by an article that you just wrote recently. And I know you've done a lot, a lot of writing and a lot of great stuff, but I want to highlight this one in particular. Um, it was entitled, I don't want to be a super mom. I just want to be a mom. And as soon as I read the title alone, I was like, I know this is written for me. Um, (laughs) so can you tell our listeners a little bit about what got you to write that? And maybe like a little, we'll put the link in so they can read it, but a little bit about Yeah, well, I'm glad you loved it. I mean, writing, I've been passionate about storytelling since I was a child and writing for me in this pandemic has been therapy. And I am very passionate about LinkedIn as a platform. It's a platform of generosity. I post and share on there often. So please, please engage with me there. But I had posted something a while ago and somebody put a comment in there, which I, I know it's intent versus impact. I understand what the intent was, but the impact was... I was really triggered. Mita, you're such a super mom. And I was like, I want to hang up my cape, take off the crown and go into bed in a fetal position and sleep for 14 hours. That's what I want to do. And I think that we, unfortunately, as a society have created a mythology around the super mom. Nobody can be super all the time. And holding women to these exceedingly crazy expectations when the whole infrastructure is broken. That's a whole other podcast. We don't have to talk about that right now, but we know (laughs) in the pandemic, our villages have been ripped out from under us, our community. And even before that, things were broken. And so I just want to be mom. And I asked the question, I talked about this in the article, like, I know a lot of amazing men in my life, including my, including my own husband and brother and brother-in-law and are people calling them super dads? I don't think so. And so you can tell I'm pretty passionate about that, but that was my form of the primal scream. I don't really scream, but (laughs) I am just mom and please this Mother's Day kids, let me sleep till 7 a.m. That I know. I don't know what my family's planning either, but I have to tell you, part of me was like, don't do anything. I asked them too. I was like, please just don't do anything. I just want a couple of hours of like silence, you know, like just quiet. I, I, so I, like I said, you were singing my song. I could, I could feel. Thank uh, <laughs> so thank you for, for all the writing that you do and, and for writing that piece um, in particular. So I have so many other questions. So at some point we're going to have to figure out another way to, to engage with you more, but we are at the end of our oh. time. So I know that you're, you, you do a lot of writing on LinkedIn. Are there other platforms or other places where people should be trying to connect with you? LinkedIn is my primary platform. I'm also on Instagram. I'm like barely on Twitter. I'm trying. I'm a little scared of Twitter. Okay. (laughs) The LinkedIn community to be a lot more supportive, but this is my life's work. I try to share some of the things I'm learning with my audience. And so I'm happy to engage with anyone, whether it's about diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, leadership lessons learned and lessons uh, surviving the pandemic as a working mother. Um, I'm bruised, but I'm still standing. 
Absolutely. So thank you so very much for all you're doing. Thank you for your time. We're so grateful that you made some time to be here on the Uplifting Impact podcast. Thank you for having me. Mira, that was just so awesome. So excited again to have you on the the call with us. And we're so grateful to everybody who was able to chime in and listen. We hope that you are able to walk away with all of the jewels that Mira gave us the ideas around what you can do when you're talking to your marketing teams, the ideas that you can do when you're talking to vendors. And really this this last thing that we just talked about, what happens uh, when we put on these labels like Supermom and what does that what does that do? Even if we have good intentions, what might be the impact of, of the way that we are labeling people in our space? So wonderful conversation. Thanks so much again for joining us. We here at Uplifting Impact believe that the more people who understand these things and are thinking about these things and asking these questions, the better we can make the world. So go out there and do the good work and make sure that you share the information about the podcast with your networks because we need all the people that we can get uh, participating in these conversations. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.